Exactly the temperature, I like it. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and today I'm joined by the uh, writer and poet, and I suppose poet is, uh, comes under the umbrella of writer, but it's still more specific, so that's okay for me to say, um, and uh, performer and erstwhile, no I was going to make a joke, but that is those are all the things and I don't have to like undercut it like in a passive aggressive way to um, undercut a guest before we begin. Um, he, I'm really glad he's here because he's a really, really, really interesting person. Um, I feel like I've... I'm just going to do that intro again because I feel like I went down a little row. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good, Tim. Hi. Yeah, it's lovely to see you. Um, so your new novel is out, not new to you, but new to the world. Yes. The, not remotely new to me. Uh, the adulterants. How um how are you feeling? I'm feeling elated. I'm still feeling quite elated. It, I finished it six months ago. Kind of handed it in finally six months ago, and it was so long and painful to write that, like you know, they say a breakup. Uh, the amount of time it takes you to recover from a a breakup is dependent on the length of the relationship. <laughs> So I feel like the feeling of elation is related to how long it took me to write. So do six years to write, and now I'm, you know. Sorry, what? What's it? Six, do you do you think do you tabulate it as six years? Well, you know, because I remember like early versions of that first scene. Yeah. And yeah, now I'm doing the maths. Okay, it's five to six, but it's 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 long, it's a long time, and you know, it's not as though I'm working on it. You know, what does it mean to be a writer? You're not like working nine to five on it so you say i'm working on it for six years sounds so dramatic but it exists as a thing i'm trying to get to the end of do you think it's years. like do you think it's like that thing of uh, a waiter like you know there's like this idea of like short-term memory that like a, a waiter takes an order and they can hold it in their head for as long uh, until they reach the kitchen and pass it over and then they've like released the order and there's a certain tension that's released at the same time. And then if you ask them five seconds later, they couldn't tell you that order again right. because it's been dumped out of that kind of like little loop. Yeah. Do you think like the tension of, I'm, I'm leading you here into a yes, no question, but like, is there a, t even if you're not working on something constantly, but it has the status of project, mm. is that one of the things about doing a novel that it is kind of ticking away at your subconscious asking for resolution, right? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that is right, but... It's so, I mean, it's so subconscious. It is the subconscious. So it, it's not that whole thing people say, you know, the, the kind of, you know, like you're working on it all the time. I, I don't think I ever felt that. I'm not the sort of person who's just like sitting there kind of working through, you know, I worked on my novel when I worked on it, but I absolutely felt when I finished it that there was something lifted from me. So, so even though I was never conscious that things were working in, 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 at a deeper level, they must have been going on because the, the amount of strain that was released was huge. That's a see. I I genuinely and I think this is this is definitely like a uh, this this is a, definitely like a kind of character thing. But I, when I'm working on something and I'm not trying to like valorize this or make this kind of like oh well, this is how deeply I get into my right novels. Like it's not a method acting, but I'm just often not really present in the world when I'm when I've got especially when I'm kind of like deep into something it's why I had to sort of stop watching boxed sets while I was writing because not because I have my novels too pure but because 
any kind of narrative that's a continuing narrative that hasn't been resolved, if I plunge into that, my mind just like gloms onto it. Right. And I would, if I watched box sets, I'd be going, this oh my, oh my, I was just thinking about it all the time. Do you I, mean that you were thinking about that story or was it always in relation to... It wasn't in relation to mine at all. I just was completely... And stuff that I wasn't even that invested in that I would couldn't help but like be like watching like halfway through Buffy season three and being like, I, I am so fucked off with this show right now because of all the things that I would have done differently, things that I don't know what's going on, things that I'm interested in what this character cares about and it's like I, it's not I'm not even a massive Buffy fan but I think any kind of like narrative like that like it it has a real pull on my my mind and not in a way that's actually particularly helpful for the craft I should say you know it's not like oh well then this is why I was born to write it's a it, it's a ball ache and it's it, it makes it hard to get perspective on it but I, I definitely have had that feeling of there being something that you just go this bit isn't working mm. and you're kind of dimly you have a dim apprehension that it's not working. Mm. Then that crystallizes into this really isn't working. And then it's like the five stages of grief, right? And then you cut it. And then there's like, sometimes you cut, the cut is like, is like a despair. Like mm. you just go into this bit of like, oh, I guess I can't do the novel now. Mm. And then you being in a state where the novel is now dead, you can start like just hacking limbs off to see if you can transplant them into something. And that's the moment where you go, actually quite a lot of this is, good like it right so you basically have to have your emotional investment decay a little yeah in order to make the cuts necessary to be reinvested in realizing that it's good and then the process has to happen yeah and then there's a cycle right and then you because then they're in that upswing of elation there can be that moment where you go i i cracked it yes it's perfect it's done yeah And, and then you see the floor and you go through the whole process again yeah especially when you like go i actually now think i I, I got like the I've got like a clear run of twenty five thousand words to the end of this manuscript. Mm. I know how everything's going to fall into place, and mm. it's only as you start. Like, there's that. I I don't know if it's like a pattern quote, but like that thing. Uh, uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy, and I think that's like sometimes quite true of. It's why are you a are you a planner or a a pantser that that arbitrary divide? But like, do you write by the seat of your pants, just uh. like feeling your way through, or do you like do because I know you talked about, you've mentioned to me about Submarine, that there was a point where you had, did you have like index cards or something? Well, with Submarine, <laughs> in, a, in a performance of, in retrospect, quite pretentious mode, I wallpapered my room with the novel. So I did like full ceilings and walls. I think I could, it wasn't possible to get the entire novel up in my quite small room quite possible to get the whole novel up at any given time but I'd read about Wood, I believe it was Woodhouse um, who when he was writing a short story he'd pin the pages of the story to the bottom of the wall of the room he was working in and, and as he improved and edited each page it would move up a, a page length towards the picture rail so each page would improve and move up one with each draft and then it would basically then he then he would know for sure that every page had been lifted and had been edited enough and when all pages were at the picture rail the story was finished and of course you know well still I, I love to hear about writers routines and I love to take them to heart but I think that was what I was thinking of so I thought I wallpapered my room 
and I'd wake up in the middle of the night or wake up in the morning and you not your brain's just kind of switching on but you're staring at this sentence and you're staring and you're staring and you're like I could make that sentence better <laughs> yeah definitely so you so did it do you feel like elements of it worked I would say it worked surprising for a really pretentious conceit it worked surprisingly well because there was just a lot of time I'm not sure it's prete- I'm not sure I would I'd see it as being pretentious given that you haven't really like the thinking behind it it's it's odd but like you haven't like claimed any you didn't claim any like big theory behind it it's like right actually in fact I, I guess if I say you don't appear to have any like there's no governing principle behind it. it to, be, to be pretentious, you'd have to like say, well, I'm doing this because I'm keying into right. like trope X. But like, actually, you're just like going, um... I put the pages on the ceiling in the pattern of Orion and I'm and I'm doing it to channel the... Yeah, right. But yeah. like, there's no pretense because you... Like, you're, I mean, you're ju- it just is what it is, right? Yeah, it's just to spend more time with the text. That is literally the, the purpose. But, it, but it, you felt it worked. I think it really worked. Like... It was really interesting because you'd have to obviously recycle, you know, you'd have to replace the pages once they had enough notes in them that you have to redo them, reprint and put them back up. So, um, but there was just a lot. It was very much at the level of the, of the line. I don't think it helped me structure the book. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't able, I think maybe when I imagined doing it, I'd be like, I'm just going to see my novel. But it wasn't really about that. I wasn't able to see the overarching shape of my book in this beautiful way. But I was able to just look at sentences and paragraphs and pages for a long time and try and improve them. Yeah, because that was in my, in my head. I was like, I was thinking that you were going to like, yeah, see the matrix that like you would, this superstructure would suddenly become yeah. apparent to you. Yeah. And that's, I guess that is the, it's not, I don't think it's pretentiousness so much as just like the desperate magical thinking that comes from like trying to deal with something that's crazily structurally complex, it's right? So unwieldy. Yeah, completely. And, and I've tried. In subsequent novels, I've tried other solutions for that to get that wider picture. You know, like a lot of big, what size would they be? Like A2 plans with flows and um, thematic colouring with highlighter pens. And found them invariably very, just not useful. Like you go into those plans thinking it's going to clarify everything. And I often find it's almost impossible to even be clear in the plan. Like I, I get, I get to the end of the plan and it's not made sense. Like let alone in the actual book. Do you? Do you? I mean, so yeah, because that's the thing. Is like I don't know. Like I think with it, with it, maybe maybe that process reveals like some muddled thinking. Maybe like when you do that and you go, well, this isn't clear. Then you're like, oh well, well and that's the. Mm. So you didn't, but you didn't. You haven't repeated. Have you? Wall, no. did wallpaper do your room with no that's not true I didn't do a full wallpaper but with this novel just written I did <laughs> did one wall yeah I did one wall of my office um, how, how many how many years into the process was that it was kind of in the middle I don't quite remember what the what the idea was why I suddenly started wallpapering um, but I do remember the glorious moment of taking it off the wall because I'd finished <laughs> and lying on the floor of my office with my reams of blue tack together paper like you know you could set fire to me now I'm, I'm done um, yeah I think it was less useful in my office I think what was great about the original format was that it was about waking up in bed 
and seeing your novel it's the first thing you see when you open your eyes whereas this was more like in my office I had to stand by the wall and look at the pages which I didn't end up doing that much I mean that is I suppose that is you know I was saying oh I you know I can't I often think about a, a book and it's kind of like in my head but that is like on one level it seems like quite intense to like wallpaper your bedroom with a with with a novel so you can't get away from it but on the other hand I suppose you're kind of outsourcing your subconscious right mm. you're like kind of like you kind of like privatized that part of your mind and it's like being taken over by like another company who will just deal with that for you right and it will be there when you come back so actually you can go about your day not thinking about it mm. because it, there's just a there's just a bizarre like mind palace yeah it was almost like you you just you've got someone permanently pecking you on the shoulder being like this is what you should keep thinking about you know you, it, it removes that sense of it's time to work on my novel because your novel is the place you live. Like you, you can't avoid going there. So it's constantly pecking at you, whether you decide to work or not. But that was the thing. I remember just ending up working, which was quite a great way to stumble into finishing. I'm you know, just, Oh, I noticed that I only came in to get, you know, um, the, the novel, the novel is, I mean, like, I, it's true. Like I, I, I really resist stuff where it's like um, I think there's a lot of self mythologizing in writers, especially stuff like the not the not, but the novel is the place you live. Like for a lot of your brain space, not out of a sense of I want this to be my identity because it's important to me. I mean, there's probably an element yeah. of that occasionally, but like because it's such a difficult problem, like the, this kind of like you've got this story that you have to somehow solve and make work and be satisfying and kind of uh uh and, and like a lot of those questions that were being asked by the novel that that are um abstract so you've got to kind of try and discern what you were going for in the first place which you don't really know when you start yes, and yes, all these yes. kind of things unless you're writing a kind of novel of ideas but it is that is it's true and i think sometimes maybe like from what you're saying like if you can steer into the so you steer into the kind of like go okay i'm not going to resist like go oh well, i'm i don't deserve to stick uh, stuff up on my wall because i'm not pg woodhouse who was uh you know like very happily a kind of like workhorse who churned stuff out for hollywood like famously talked about during this massive boom where you had m like a rare moment in history where there was the demand for writers sort of kind of outstripped supply that's where you get the first big boom of creative writing manuals how to write um hollywood's taking off the price of paper plummets in the late 20s early 30s so all these magazine markets and penguin paperbacks of course start in 1935 um you so you suddenly get that huge boom and he was prepared to just like turn up and write and write wrote scripts for hollywood and made made an awful lot of money that's so interesting. I was thinking about him because I was discussing discussing with someone the other day the concept of, of being a comic novelist and, and whether that is a, a term I find rankling or pleasurable. And I was thinking I find it both. And I was thinking about <laughs> P.G. Woodhouse, who I think is a total genius, but is, I guess, a comic novelist? Is he a literary novelist? What is he? And did, and did he have any of the... Uh, chips on his shoulder that I expect all, all writers who uh, are attached to kind of who's somehow crossover between comedy and 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 literary writing feel 
or, or was he totally comfortable being a man who like however many books he produced like one a year or whatever um in his genre i suspect he produced more i mean i'm not, I'm not without wikipedia here to check I, I can't tell but i suspect he produced more than than one one a year he was super super oh well books books i mean i suppose he wrote like a lot of them i'm thinking of like short stories, stories as well yeah. but his his output was prodigious and he wrote lots of screenplays you know he he put out a lot i mean there's i mean the the people he's but was he happy that's what i want to know well, he was certainly uh, did some uh, produced some propaganda for the for the Nazis during the Second World War. So uh, <laughs> genius, says Joe Dunthorn. So no, no, like I, I, I think he's a, I think he's, I think he's definitely a comic novelist to me. The only thing that I, you know, that I suppose is rankling about that is it then in people's mind puts you in a race, a separate sort of horse race. Mm with a stable of about like 12 writers mm -hmm. and it means you'll constantly be kind of like compared against they'll go well how about how about what a carve up eh like is, is, and it's just like well yeah i mean that is a book that's fine but it's 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 sometimes i think it sometimes narrows the way in which people talk about a work yes um that's, and that's a that's, shame I think, that, I think that's the big fear it's like i'm happy to make people laugh and to be known as a writer that is funny, but what gives me the heebie-jeebies is the thought that that genre closes off people's desire to see other things in the work. I, I like. I really, I really like P.G. Woodhouse. I, I think he did. He did some like really, really, really funny stuff, and there's some really biting satire in it that uh, I just, you know, I, I think he's very funny and he's very good at characters. I'm, I'm kind of. I, I suppose, like, I, 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 I kind of like, this sounds like I'm being really pretentious now, but, like, I suppose I'm, I, Saki, I like a lot, like, as a kind of, and I, and I kind of see, I completely unfairly see that you have to pick one or the other, I don't think that's true at all, but, like, I think Saki's stuff, like, maybe does a lot of what Woodhouse, get, I get out of that, but just, like, this tiny little bit more of the language just kind of, Pinging more, right. but then Saki never really wrote a decent novel, so right. just all like sort of seven hundred and fifty word short stories, and they and they're good, and they're less kind of like punchliney than mm -hmm. a lot of his contemporary writers, like like the American equivalent being O. Henry, mm -hmm. where all the stories have like a a kind of sting in the end of the tale. Mm -hmm. um, they're they're a lot more kind of subtle and nice little character pieces, but mm, I don't know. Like I, I, I yeah, but you must you know. We, as a man, as a, a genre crosser, do you ever tussle with the anxieties of how how you're positioned and how how a reader thinks of you as? I'd love to be thought of as a fantasy author, and I just don't seem to be able to get it to stick. Like I'd I'd love it. I I'd really. Um, I think there's a danger always with science fiction and fantasy authors. I there's a danger of always presenting the work as I think as a reaction a fear of kind of like being sneered at or not taken seriously there's a danger that you end up pre presenting it as this inherently like valorous uh, mm. uh, worthwhile thing I think people overcorrect into kind of like actually fantasy is the primary form that, you know and you start like kind of evoking folk 
legends and national epics and you're you very quickly you've gone into this yeah and it's just and that's bollocks it's no better or worse i think there's probably some and i think it's worth being challenged about why you write in a genre because it's easy to say well that's just the form in which my ideas Mm. come Mm. uh but then I, you know, pulling on that uh, sort of handkerchief string a little bit more, it's like, well, what comes after that? And it's like, well, actually, it's like one that I feel comfortable in. I suppose there's some examples of stories I've really enjoyed in it, but it's like, well, do you think it's better? Why not write something set, uh, quote unquote, in the real world? Um, and then you either have to sort of like go for broke and go, well, because I do think it's better, actually, or go, well, m- maybe I'm just... You know, just like that's where I've put all the points in my skill tree and I'm going to like keep going with that. But that's a much less satisfying answer to people. I think like with, you know, when you talk about like... That's it. That's that's that thing. I think it's a Zadie Smith quote. You know, don't resent something just because it's not your skill set. Like just because you're not good at doing something doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. I think that's the easy position to take is like I'm going to camp myself so firmly in my own skill base that I've suddenly built this fortress of, of reasoning for why I'm the writer I am and yeah. actually you just you know I, I, I'm, I'm quite good at making jokes I'm quite I, I think I'm quite good at similes like so I use them a lot it's big big surprise like I, I don't I can't write remains of the day so I haven't tried to write it you know these are it's, it's weird but you end up just but you might Joe I just like not to I don't want to get too dragged aside but you you must have like heard heard the talk of the uh of Kazuo Shiguru doing his four week <laughs> crash. There must have been part of you that just there like a little devil must have appeared on your shoulder and go this so this idea is that that uh, that the remains of the day was written principally the bulk of it after a period of sort of like absorbing and research in a four week period referred to as the crash uh where he wrote Kazuo Shiguru like wrote from like when he got up to when he went to sleep he sort of lost his sense of his balance was affected like he was that intense and then finished and he could kind of completed the novel he just hadn't stopped hadn't as if a quality then he went back and edited but principally the novel upon which the majority of his reputation rests uh was written in four weeks part of you that must have been a slight siren song to someone who has occasionally you know agonized over getting a a novel right yeah yeah it was it's it was horrible i mean i think most writers reading that would just feel ill it's disgusting and i and i in what, in what way? It's horrible bit out in the sense of jealousy or horrible because it seems like a gruelling ordeal? It's, it's horrible in the sense of jealousy, I think. And it's also just so appealing. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think it's true, but it's, I'm sure he's not lying, but it feels romanticised. You know, the, you, you can tell yourself, oh, but he did two years of really heavy research before and then there was however probably that year of editing afterwards. But just this this idea of getting... It's the weird gamble of a novel. It's like rolling the dice. Like, I'm going to start a novel. Great. You can be done in a month and you'll win the Booker Prize. Or, <laughs> bad luck, it's going to take you 10 years and you won't finish it. You're going to get 10 years and, at the, and that is going to be how long you're going to take to sort of exhaust your options and discover... I give up. 
Yeah. Because, because you know, you can get to... Because we all know stories of novels that took, that didn't take very long, but also novels that took years and years and years, took a decade, and turned out really good, right? right? So it would sort... There would be a mercy if you knew when you get to four years... You de- and you have if you're not finished, you definitely know it's dead. Like that would, you would know, you would know, and or, that would be or, a release. Or, or the converse, you, if you're gonna get to four years, there's like a deal. If you spend four years, I guarantee that you will get to the end, and it will be passable. If you st- if you stick it if out, you yeah. Stick at it, like it may take you another four, but you know it's just that if you get that far, because I did feel that four years into this one, it was still on the wire whether it could not finish like, I thought oh, this might be I could have thrown it in or at least I felt I was close to throwing it in and it was only you know the final year when it's like oh I think I see the end and I'm going to get that and it's going to be something I can stand by do you feel like the uh, sort of quote unquote I don't know what kind of like writing community you feel like you have around you and people like you share your work with and stuff but mm. do you do you think did, did people under, understand that or were people you were telling about that kind of going thought that that was a kind of writerly thing you know like oh no joe you'll you'll get through it did, did you think people appreciate it because I, I guess now when people see the book and you've written it mm. and it's you know it's uh I, I won't embarrass you too much by saying how great it is but it is really good and it it, it feels like it's had a lot of work in it i think you know, like in the same way that um, pork belly, you can like really, you feel like you get the calories out of it in terms of taste. You're like, cool, I'm getting all the, these calories have converted into good taste. I feel like with the book, like all the work you've done on it has created a kind of like um, a richness and intensity and uh, rewardingness, like sentence by sentence. It really feels like you've um, like looked at ways to make every sentence uh pay back the reader a little bit for continuing and that's really really nice that kind of density of ideas um but from your perspective like you and you know that now which is but do you think how, like what, what was it like at year four and why did and what made you kind of how did you manage to keep going it, it definitely got quite bleak and I think the problem was that this novel the last novel I wrote was outward and it involved research and meeting people and interviewing people and so th- th- this was um uh this was Wild Abandon right which right, is set so in a commune and right it's set in a commune so I went to communes and I read books about communes and I did all these things and somehow there's something quite like jolly and personal about going out in the world and discovering these things and and, and, and like as and also as you're doing that like that's also work like you feel like you're kind of you get that satisfaction of like i knew i had i had a research mission today and i went and done it and i've got some notes and i've cherry picked these things yeah whereas this was much more novel that looked inward it was about the things i was going through turning 30 thinking about children my friends doing the same things some of us really struggling with those decisions so i'm cannibalizing myself i'm cannibalizing my my partner, my friends, I'm cannibalizing everything around me. And initially that that instinct is kind of fun and you're having a good time. Three, three or four years in, that amount of time spent looking inward and trying to kind of 
finesse your own life into a shape. You know, you're creating this version of yourself, this version of your life experiences. And the novel does a, isn't very kind to its narrator. So I spent, you know, I'd, by this point, I spent three or four years kind of punishing myself fictionally. And psychologically, it was not a great place to be in. I didn't feel good about going into what well, I guess this is a cliche, but I, the novel and my life started to feel like I couldn't really tell the difference anymore. This is like a Kaufman movie, but it was a bit like that. Yeah. I felt really, I got this sign on my door, be the clam. Like, cause I, I was trying to rem remind myself that when you go into the office and you sit down, you've got to remember that you, it's, it's not you and it's not your world. This isn't you you're writing about, this is fiction. <laughs> but it definitely got, oh, it just got exhausting. And that kind of psychologically exhausting, you presumably feel at the time is like the least sympathetic thing to share with anyone else. You go, I'm uh, finding my novel difficult and uh, right. I feel hey, a bit sort of bad. <laughs> yeah, like people are like, you wanker. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they never say it, but like that, but genuinely that must be, it's, you know, it doesn't make the world a better place to beat yourself up. And that must be quite isolating because you go, okay, I, I feel like I'm having a real struggle and I don't, feel I can share this without feeling like deep shame because it's like it seems like the most self-indulgent thing why yeah. can't I just fucking do it yeah 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 and, and and the funny thing is coming back to being a comic comic novelist you know the tone and the surface of my novel is of this funny romp of, of, a, <laughs> of a lovely funny uh plotted romp so so, so it, I, I felt this kind of weird tug between me being a kind of sad sackish introverted depressive thinking about dumping his novel and, and and the work I'm attempting to produce is basically like a bawdy caper tears of a clown Joe. <laughs> <laughs> just but it is like it's do you think that that kind of um suffering makes it sound like I'm being sort of uh, uh slightly uh, uh withering but like do you think that kind of uh, suffering when you're writing is intrinsic to writing a novel no, I don't. I mean, I, I'd love to ask Kazuo Ishiguro. Maybe there was an element of suffering in his four-week, the crash splurge. But I imagine, you know, he hasn't got much time for suffering. He feels productive and must feel good. So, and I've had those experiences where you, like certain chapters, I can pinpoint them in this novel. Like there's three chapters. I know that they came out in one, loved writing them, hardly edited them. That's amazing. That does happen. Um, so the... Do you think there was anything different about those chapters? Like, I know it's a, like a little bit post hoc, ergo propter hoc, where you're kind of looking back at it and going, "What? How can I? How can I?" Re it's like when the old, when I was at the um, Great Yarmouth Dog Track, and the old lady gave us a, a a tip that ended up coming in, and we made eleven pounds fifty off a fifty p bet, and we spent the rest of the time searching for the mythical old lady who could tell the future. <laughs> Might have just been a coincidence, but. Do you think there was anything different about them, or was it just completely random? Or do you mean different for the re like different to read? Is there a different? No, I mean like when, well, either or. Like, do you think when in content wise, when you can you see something that made them particularly easy to write, or there was a reason why they came out quickly? Mm. Was it attitudinal? Was it that that it was a set piece that you'd known for ages, and so it came easily, or were they a sort of um, a bridging passage that you? hadn't really got any agenda for and so right, you could just right. kind of follow 
or were they early on in the novel where they could become dictating they didn't weren't having to sort of dovetail various things in mm-hmm. was there anything that actually the actually the chapters i'm thinking of were important chapters that it was somehow it was necessary to do something good. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that's the reason that they went easily, but in both cases, I had a concrete thing in my mind that I knew had to feature in them. That was like you mean like an actual event, an actual event, or a story I'd heard that I knew I wanted to transpose. So I guess they they both had something. I wasn't going in blind. I knew I had to hit this one note. Um, and I knew that they were important in the book, but I, I don't think that necessarily helps. But yeah, it was, I think it was just, you know, some days it goes well and, and, and those chapters came out easily. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I suppose like, like we all are, like a, there's this kind of element of magical thinking where I was hoping you were going to like, you were going to, I was watching your eyes to see as you were talking about it, you'd go, you know, Tim, I've just, I've realised what it was, <laughs> and I can now share this with you That's how it right. worked. That's and we, right. it's. It, but I, I, I mean, wore odd socks. And I... Do you think? And do you think? Because you said they're like because they're kind of like turning points in the book, or they kind of like they they become kind of like motors for the plot, or they right. involve a decision or a something that the the character does that can't be undone. Mm-hmm. Like so, whether they realise it at the time, some there's something has been uh, set in motion that is mm-hmm. going to have effects later on. Um, do you do you think that it's that that kind of content helps a scene? I, I definitely have found mm-hmm. scenes that I've written and really struggled with, and then I've looked at them and gone, oh, "This is unnecessary." Right. These characters are just I'm just fucking stacking chairs here, and they're having a fag waiting for the scene to start. And you know when you've got a scene, that's completely right. And I'm sure that's a part of it. You know when you've actually got too much to do. What an amazing feeling that is. You're going into a scene, you've got, I've got a load of really great things that this scene needs to do. I love having that sense of like a stacked up list of whether they be plot points or character developments that need to happen. And there's nothing worse and less, you know, uh, motivating than coming into a scene where you just like, I guess I'll just see what these guys do and, 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 and hoping that something good comes out of it. So yeah, it, it's definitely fair to say that those scenes had clear A to B journeys. Um, and I know that that is a massive part of what makes them feel alive when you're writing them. Because I've heard people, when they're talking about their writing, and it always gives me a bad feeling that they're going to have like a, a, a shit month when they're kind of like going, oh yeah, I've got to write this. The next thing I've got to write, I've got to get him to hear because mm. he's got to then like look at this. Mm. And you're like, oh yeah. like it, it's not like going he's gonna get here and and and, and make have to make a decision mm-hmm. like because i've had scenes that have come easily when i've looked back at them i didn't know what was going to happen in the scene but looking back at it the character in it has a very clear like agenda and thing they need to do or want or some uh presumption that is driving them when they go into the scene they go in with an agenda and they've got a definite status mm. and there are some and then it's actually quite straightforward to go okay what could be an obstacle to that yeah that's what right. could be another obstacle to to, to that do you, i find it interesting you know i've been in the writing game a long time yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jay just um jay just like uh rolled up his uh sleeves and uh showed me his uh his tats his uh 
Yeah. <laughs> writer's prison. Yeah. No, um, but one thing I'm interested and in, slightly horrified by is that I'm still only marginally better at recognising when a character is well motivated. I still regularly go into scenes believing that there's a story and end up just in the middle of the scene being like, actually, no. I, I thought that them going for a walk and having a look at the at the you know the graveyard was was a story of course it isn't a story and, and it's easy but you might get a strong visual of the graveyard i suppose maybe is that the like thing that in your head you're like fuck right there's something filmed i've got maybe. some like i've got some i've got some sweet sweet maybe, metaphors about graves well yeah there's that's possibly that or maybe it's that classic thing of you've just been to a graveyard you know that that's that classic thing oh but it was real and i and i and we had a really interesting conversation there so it's going to be a great scene and you write this 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 couple they're having this interesting conversation in the graveyard and then you you read it you're like, but there's it's empty there's nothing there so um, I heard that Chris Rock, when he would go and do, and still does, when he goes to do, like, try out a new 10 minutes in a kind of, like, stand-up club, just a small one, goes to an open mic or something, does t does 10 minutes, that he will is, like, sort of well-known for going and delivering it with absolutely no affect whatsoever. Just, like, deal things completely sort of deadpan, mm. no energy, on the basis that he kind of knows he's got enough experience now that if he wanted to, he could sell really shit jokes to like a random audience right. and probably get a decent. And what he wants to do is like hold back and see what actually lands with no padding. Do you think huh. then that part of the problem could be that as you get a bit more experience, your ability to um, to cosmetically cover up, mm. to, to make sort of adjustments to a scene that can never, can never save it really. Mm. You deeply know that you're papering over the cracks, mm. but you've got enough writer's instincts that kind of like in the moment, yeah. you're kind of like in the same way as like, I've been sort of like a weird turning point in my life. I've started playing Dungeons and Dragons very late in life. But, um, and like as a DM, you're often, you know, everything you're doing is like improvising. That's a, that's a dungeon master. Yeah, dungeon master. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> as I go into, go into nerd <laughs> jargon. Um, but like, you you often you know in a scene you have you're 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 looking at what the shape of the story is going to be and sometimes you just like deliver something badly sometimes the party go the wrong way and they miss out on the clue that the treasure is going to be down here they miss a secret door and you have to like invent a, a coincidence or something that kind of steers them back towards it while them thinking it was their idea now it, that is not a good plot by any means, but after a while you get an instinct for it and you can kind of steer the story in the way you want it to go. But it's not a good, it's not a good story. You're just able to make kind of course corrections and like cosmetic things. And because it's an improvised game that only has one draft, people forget about the ugly kind of things you did to kind of like stitch the story back together. But in a, I just wonder if there's a point where and, and not to kind of like go, you're so good at style, Joe, that you can bamboozle even yourself. But is there an element of where you're like, you practiced like making a sentence good and that is the quickest thing to do, sentence by sentence? Well, I think that's, that's a really interesting idea. Actually, I think the truth is sometimes that the plot, the, 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 the plot seems broken until the sentences are perfect. Like I've had experiences where you feel that there's no, 
there's no way that this, these characters can be correctly motivated. It's unconvincing the way they move through this scene, the way they relate to each other. You think, oh, but I'll just... It seems like it's never going to work, but I'll just maybe try to make it as, as subtle and as kind of beautiful as I can, sentence by sentence. And, and occasionally, I think probably slightly th through trickery, you can call it trickery or you can call it, I don't know, whatever, but it can start to work like really late on in the process. You're like, I, it, it's slightly like a poem. You know, you just, you, if you're managing to stop the reader doubting, then you've done your job. It doesn't have to be that there isn't some flaw. There might be a flaw right at the heart of their motivation, but it, you know, writing to me is partly magic and, and trickery. So I feel like sometimes that counts, like the scene works if, if the reader doesn't doubt it. And, and, and it may be that you've used your magic simile powers to get there, but that, that counts as far as I can tell. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, there's no, I think you're probably right in the sense that there's no structure so good that you can just write the most like uh, uh, bollocks, uh, ambiguous, uh, the discursive prose, and it will be enjoyable, right. right? Like if you if if you write it and it's really difficult to understand what's going on, you can't really see where the characters are. Yeah. They're talking in cliches to one another. It yeah. doesn't matter that it's like that. There's some kind of like classic kind of like uh, three act structure underpinning it. Yes. It will. It won't be in, enjoyable. And although that's I suppose it's it's important. I think that's a really good point in the sense that it's important to, for us to remember that like structure is can be satisfying, mm. but it's really, really, really not the be all and end all. No. Otherwise, we could just publish some diagrams, right? And people would be <laughs> like, "Oh, nice." Well, yeah. Obviously, you want it all. You want the perfect, amazing structure, the the, the wonderfully motivated characters, and the the gorgeous style. Um, but the reality is often one of those things is a little lacking, but you can still carry it off. Because in my head, when I read, I think I would say, and I think it's probably not true, but I think it's what I instinctually think, or not instinctually, just like reflexively and perhaps lazily think, is that I read for style. I feel like mm. that's what I engage with primarily is like if I find like a good voice, like a narrator who I want to follow, I'm interested in what they've got to say, then in in my head i'm like oh i could hear them you know that kind of thing oh, i could just I could get listen them. all day yeah they could just like be reading out the phone directory because yeah. that's not yeah. true but it's because you've written now you've you know you're you've done some um, first personing mm. has been a, a form mm. that you've returned to and i i wondered how you kind of how you think about kind of engaging with voice and kind of get discussed is it a process of discovering that character or is it or is that voice baked into plot and structure in a way that's completely indivisible or mm. i think i normally discover the voice if, through a process of some sort of digging writing short stories writing poems just writing with generative creative writing exercises or whatever restrictions ulipo things however i go about my day-to-day -day kind of um, just experimenting and then hoping to come across a voice that I'm excited by and feels flexible enough and interesting enough to carry something longer. That That's how I get to the point of having a voice I want to write a novel with. Um, but what I was experimenting with with this novel was trying to combine that voice 
and basically not coasting on voice because I love voice too. And I, I, you know, I'm very much the same as you. I would happily say of novels I, I love, I just want to listen to this person talk. I just love the way they talk. But I also love plot. Like I love thrillers. I've been reading a lot of Patricia Highsmith recently and when, it, when her novels are good, they're just wonderful machines of surprise and turning cogs. And I love that. I thought it would be, so the ambition was to have a very voicey novel that has that surface of pleasure and play, but also has a bit of a crank in the plot department. So yeah, that that was the kind of because why I, yeah because I suppose it's like why shouldn't why shouldn't you have both like you there's no no one yet has presented to me an intrinsic reason why one cancels out if, the other. I think I th if, if I were to argue why it's difficult is because a good voice rules by its own by its own charms and 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 necessarily refuses to follow. You know, voices are often digressive. They're often willing to go on flights of fancy and talk about things that just aren't relevant. That's the charm of a voice. You're, it's a chatty thing. You know, it's the Frank O'Hara thing. He's not going to like stick to the plot. So I think that's the contradiction: is how do you, while maintaining the sense that the narrator is still saying whatever they want and not on rails, um, actually pushing them along in. Uh, so motor it's really interesting that you should say that because it's made me think of like one of my favorite books that i read recently which was um uh charles portis's uh true grit mm. and the narrator there matty ross who's a 14 year old girl who sets off to avenge the death of her father and but she's writing the narrator is matty ross as an old lady and occasionally she just wanders off into quite dry biblical exegesis right. like talking about different interpretations of parts of corinthians and right, stuff like right. that but it's a mate the it the plot is so plotty it's like the plot is mm, but it's she i think there's a couple of things is like when she just she's kind of quite matter of fact at laying down mm. what happened mm. so she can kind of like get through bits of the plot like mm. and especially like world building and just some of the kind of like i'm setting the scene mm. real quick also she's not particularly impressed by her own acts of you know when she just like rides a horse into like the freezing river to like chase after somebody who she wants to insist kills her dad like it's it's there's something awesome about the fact that she doesn't she doesn't highlight it to the reader that this is particularly amazing mm. she's not bothered and then the, the stuff she is bothered about is a bit more sort of it's i don't really know why i like it actually that's um it's it's really difficult to say why i like it except that i think she's there's there's something very attractive and appealing about someone who doesn't doesn't has a lack of self-awareness maybe may i don't know there's just something i suppose it makes that, me that's interesting you know to because to, you're talking about the, the biblical sections you know that's very that's a very voicey thing it is very yeah and then she flips over into just moving the wheels of the plot along you know that's almost like i, I haven't read through it so i can't come but it sounds like you know that's an alternating thing of like Voice then plot, voice then plot. Yeah, and 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 the and the biblical exegesis stuff is very like few and far between compared to the sure. plotty stuff. Like it's 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 a strong spice. The uh, the the voice turning into around, and of course it reveals character because it's telling you, um, 
that she is also she's big, but she also she's preaching at you, right? Um, not in a kind of like too dogmatic way, but in a way that you get the sense this is a person who is quite prepared to stand up for their beliefs mm. and is unapologetic about them. Mm. And it does, it tells you, it, it reveals a lot about the character actually. Mm. And it's quite a nice, it's quite a nice way of, of, of slipping that in. It is probably something that's quite difficult to do in a too knowing kind of like way i think you it's, it's it's probably something i think that i like to imagine that it's something that has to arise as an accident of doing all that voice work and then you cut out all the instances that it doesn't and keep the ones that work best you kind of prune back all the weak uh uh, uh, uh shoots and just keep the ones that kind of like had the strongest blooms but it i mean i've never been able to do i've never yet been able to do a kind of like voice led piece and i think it's always something that i find i imagine it's kind of like in my head i so this is why i'm asking you because i genuinely have never written it but like i imagine it's kind of like is it a bit like method acting like once you've done a whole novel in that voice like and now you've done the adulterance do you feel like you could then sort of plonk plonk that voice into like a new scenario and without and it would be easy not easy but it would be fairly straightforward for that to sort of generate that character's reactions to that scene and yeah i think you definitely develop that character's angle on the world and the more you write the more clarified that becomes and the easier it is to imagine how he or she would view whichever situation but i've been interested to note that i could do that now right now i could probably still write my character ray in any scene but previous like the voice from some summary, I can't, I can't go back there. I, you know, it's not. Is it, it is Oliver. You don't feel like you could just like Oliver has kind of like had a. There's been like a decay to that. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that. Maybe, I assume like Oliver was just still in your head as someone you could, could warm back up to it. If you, if you, if I spent enough time rereading that voice, um, even though you know there's some similarities between the, the, these two first person novels, but I definitely don't have a sense that the character lives on forever it i think it's it's a it's a muscle you build up like voice is like a muscle and you kind of work on it and work on it and suddenly oh, i'm really good at this voice i can get kind of put this voice anywhere but as, as soon as you step away from it for any amount of time i think it fades shit so that's really so there's like a level of so if you're doing like a, a first person I'm, I know I'm, I'm sorry for like trying to like abstract kind of uh, uh, like holy writs on kind of like I, I, I know you're sort of very you're talking from your own perspective and not making sweeping ex cathedra pronouncements on how to do first person. <laughs> but um, you're saying that in your experience, there's a level of match fitness to writing a convincing voice. And that is something that you have to keep that flywheel moving um to to really be in that voice and for it to be able to react so so and was that true of this one that like whenever you took breaks from it your ability to write in that voice like declined and you had to kind of like build up again and warm up to it yeah i, th I think that's right i mean I, I guess you feel that probably with any novel there's an element of needing to remind yourself of what you've written and the details of your characters you know much as it would be nice to say that you, every novelist has every character's full history at their fingertips the whole time, you do need to kind of warm back up. But I think especially with the voice, there's an element of 
you've yeah you've got to be match fit. I mean, I don't I don't remember anything about the fucking nineteen thirties. Genuinely, like we, I you know wrote the honors, and I was at the time of writing. You like were, I was so. Yeah expert at it and i knew all sorts of stuff and i knew like the dates that commercial radio uh, programs began when they interview me when they do the q and a's at the festivals someone's gonna ask me and i'm gonna say it was 1931 june the 12th and then you know six months later when the interview at the q and a actually happens you can't remember anything. i don't remember jack shit <laughs> i don't know anything it is just like that waiter phenomenon like it just is gone and well, i don't I know saw, any of it i saw don delillo my beloved literary hero speak in london and it was so exhilarating he couldn't remember a sausage about his his novels <laughs> people were like so in your um multi award-winning opus underworld you'll remember the character on page 500 who's very i think symbolically very important and uh, and he, you just see in his face it's just like no i don't know who that is and it was great i mean i mean maybe it's nice maybe one day i'll get to read sort of like a book i've written back and just be like Fuck! I don't remember any of this. This is nice. Oh, cool! I can just like re-enjoy, hit a good sentence there. You definitely will be able to. Surely you've come across things in on your hard drive, poems from years ago. I don't know who wrote that. Like, (laughs) I genuinely to the point of like mild sort of like dysphoria. I'm like, come on, come on. Who did this? Yeah, it's nice, and I think that is one of the things about like just producing a lot of stuff and doing these exercises. And, you know, doing these, like you said, generative creative writing exercises is that occasionally you can like write something, stash it away in the moment, think that was a bit shit and come back to it like a, have left it to bake for a year and a half, come back to it and go, actually, there's some good stuff in that. Yeah, it's always, not all good, but like I can use bits of that. Or it's very obvious what's good and what's bad. And then you just make the cut and suddenly that's done. Have you, so you've now finished your novel and now you're getting reviews and like it's gone, been going down really well and people are really enjoying the book and, um, what I want to ask, I suppose this is what, just as we kind of like come to the end of this now, a question I want to ask is, and I've definitely got an agenda here, so please, feel free to uh, resist it. But is that a, how do you, what, how do you feel about sort of like your next, the prospect of having a next project? Uh, jo- Joe's, uh, Joe's face is just. Uh, I've got very small nostrils, but I'm trying to flare them. They, they yeah, they, do you, I mean, because on one hand, all your effort has been gloriously validated, mm. right? Like you've worked really hard on it. The novel was finished. People, there hasn't been cries of like, oh my gosh, there are problems with this that are plain for all of us to see. Why, oh why, could Joe not see them? This is a massive oversight and I- indicative of a terminal and irreversible decline in his creative capacities no one said that everyone's you know saying and, and a lot of the the um comments are people saying how sort of like like refined and um pre- the precision and the kind of richness of the language and i would echo all of those things but is that a good thing or a bad thing because on the other hand it does seem there's is there an element in which that mm-hmm. is all the difficulty that you went through and uncertainty it's saying th- th- that is that's the process you have to do you have that's to do that it. you've discovered that the way you write novels is slow and horrible so that's your that's your future you, good, like i guess just like in that kind of like magical thinking thing where it's like we don't know which bits of that process were necessary mm-hmm. and which bits are just 
an accident of what you happen to be doing at the time. So you have to re replicate all of them. That's right. And, and that's, very, that's very depressing. Thanks for that. Um, I think. No, I mean, I don't, I don't, don't want to. Yeah, like I say, I don't want to. Is I, I don't know how you personally feel about it, but like I, 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 I'm not saying that that's definitely it. I'm just saying, how does it? It's. It can only go so far, in that direction. You know, this novel was definitely the most condensed and the most kind of worked on of everything I've written, and I don't imagine there's much. I don't imagine I can go much further in this direction I, like, I can I, see like there's, a, there's an expression on your face that is like dreadfully wary of like antagonizing the irony gods yes, <laughs> like, like, like you don't want this to like yeah no i well i you know i just don't want to go through that again that, that, that that's the reality of it i obviously everyone loves to have written something i'm very very glad that i have written it but if you offered me the same experience and the same outcome I would not go ahead. Really? I wouldn't go through it again. It was uh, even I, even knowing even knowing as I, as I, as it currently stands. I guess I'm still quite close to how bad it was. Yeah. It was terrible. I mean, I, I, it was so bad. Oh, Joe, mate. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, Thank you for saying that because I think like a lot of writers want to. They're fine with kind of like going, oh, you know, oh, I'm a bit you know, neurotic or it's a bit difficult. But like actually right. going, no, it's horrible. Like I think a lot of writers feel that like breaks the magic, right? right. To admit that is a kind of like in itself a failing. But, but the, the contradiction is, of course, no one can tell me that, that I will, that it will be good or bad. So all I can know is that I can roll the dice again and I probably will roll the dice and I probably will go through it again. So it may be better or it may be worse. But the reality is... I'm I'm almost certainly going to start again. Do you, do you, and do you have have you got any sort of things in place any like little um seat belts for the soul that you're kind of like uh strapping on to try and help yourself through the mm. kind of like feelings of disappointment or mm. fear that it's not going to be good or sort of self-castigation. Are there any things that you thought well I've can take away now from my experience this will be the kind of thing when I feel it kind of moving this direction. Is that have you had any thoughts about how you're going to try and steer are you gonna try and be sort of like deliberately more sloppy or are you gonna have you are you gonna try and repeat things yourself or have you got a plan what's right. have, you, have you got anything or are you literally re sort of resigned or accepting of the fact that you're just gonna that's the process and you just get it's gonna be that well obviously one hopes to become more uh skilled at troubleshooting and i hope that i will not go down the dead ends that I went down on this novel and I will I guess as we talked about earlier on that I'll get better I hope I'll get better at spotting when a scene is well is well motivated and uh, has a purpose and so you don't spend all your time kind of just discovering that, uh, that characters have nothing to do after you spent a couple of weeks writing it um, but on a more like day-to-day -day writing level I did learn you know it's just the class it's the classic it's the classic mental health things, really. It's you know, get outside, uh, get out, yes, get out, get out of yourself a bit, see your friends, well, maybe do some exercise. You know, the, the, just talk to people about things. You know, I just those things that don't seem very uh, glamorous, 
it's hard to valorize right. like talking to people uh doing a bit of exercise it's hard to fit that that's never part of the writing mythology right that's never no, part of it, like did you hear that like um did you hear that like stephen king just like uh once a week yeah he just got, like goes and sees his mates like rings his friends and they just talk about uh they talk about american football do, right. you, do you hear but like, no one no one says that part of the an author's because, life because you know all i love to hear about the writer who doesn't see a soul for two years and and and, and you know that's great i love those stories but that those people exist they do exist yeah but most writers are not that and also that thing that they're doing may not be and it's like again it's magical thinking that may not be the component that may allows them to write in fact it may be actively detrimental to their writing indeed it's very easy to get romantic about all this stuff um and even to romanticize struggle and to think that having an awful time is part of the process um and i would like to propose that it isn't although experience tells me that quite often it is yeah like i think struggle is not it's not you shouldn't be ashamed if you don't struggle and I've definitely caught myself feeling sort of like semi-consciously feeling like a certain level of definitely like cocking a snook at uh, writers who seem to be producing stuff too easily to a deadline like <laughs> yeah. definitely feeling like n not quite vocalizing like that they're a hack yeah. but maybe that they are maybe they're just like playing uh, you know, maybe they're playing GTA on God mode, you know, and that's fine. You can have fun. You fly around a helicopter. You can't die infinite ammo, but it's not really, that's, that's not the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, I, and I don't, I don't think it's anything well, I'd ever to, like feel. You have to reassure yourself, don't you? Because. I'm getting something back for feeling crap about this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But this is, I'm like buying into a, a, a second, an extra tier. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, that's really well. Thanks very, very, very much for talking about that, Joe. Uh, it's really, really good and been really, really interesting and lovely to have you round to it's talk been on the show. Great, Tim. Thank you very much. Um, and um, everybody, if you are listening, you can go and uh, get Joe's novel, uh, The Adulterance. Now, also, you can get his previous novels, uh, uh, Wild Abandon and Submarine. They're all available. I will put a link to um, all of them, a buying link. Um, on my website, timpoet.co.uk, so you can just click through and um, order them. Uh, is there anything else you've got coming up that you want to mention, Joe? Um, I should have really prepped you about that. I'm so I've sorry. I've got a poetry book. Did I tell you that? No, 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 no. I've got my poetry book coming out next year. Sweet. Um, April. Called? It's called O Positive. O Positive. Um, like O as in the, uh, the uh, O... Right, both the O and the blood type. I mean, it's like, well, you know, it's supposed to be... I'm trying to think it's, of... It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's got two meanings, Tim. Uh, well, this is the thing. This is why I moonlight as a poet. And so I immediately, with my analytical mind, I saw the duality. You did. In, uh, any, any kind of brilliant wordplay is easy to... Curve. And that, that's, that's really... Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, so, um, that's, so that's in April next year. Uh, in April 2019 if you're listening in April 2019 then you will just be able to go and buy it now um, and uh, if you have enjoyed the show today then you can listen to all the other ones on SoundCloud uh, SoundCloud uh, forward slash Tim Clare and um, they're also all on my on iTunes uh, Death of a Thousand Cuts thank you very much for listening and I hope you get some writing done this week bye bye <laughs>